It's Jim, it's the World of Bonds. It's Wednesday, the 8th of February, 2023. This is for professional investors only. Never, ever investment advice. Now, in the last episode of Uncle Jim's World of Bonds last week, I speculated that the huge record-breaking rallies in government bonds that we saw post-rate hikes from each of the Fed, the Bank of England and the ECB, together with some reasonably hawkish rhetoric in most cases at least, um, the re- the reason for that was it was a short covering rally based on positioning rather than any change in economic or market conviction. And that in the case of these big spiky price moves um, that are short covering rallies or speculative unwinds of positioning, um, often in these cases you get a very quick and severe change of direction that takes away all of those price rises or falls, uh, however it may be. Well, we got that in spades um, in the wake of last week's jobs number out of the US on Friday. It's non-farm payroll, the biggest number in the marketplace that people look at, of course, and the US created 517,000 new jobs in January. We also had some upward revisions, to be fair. December was revised higher as well. And this all came not just uh, against um, a series of what had been declining job creation numbers for for many months, but against the market narrative. And the market narrative and the headlines that we're all seeing is around job cuts, um, and especially in the tech sector, uh, the big players seem to have laid off 10 to 15% of workforces in past weeks. So that really was the surprise. Uh, The unemployment rate is now at 3.4%, the lowest since 1969. So the expectations now are for the Fed to put in not only another rate hike, but they've put in another 50-50 chance of a a further rate hike taking the peak, not to 5%, but to 5.25% by June. There is still a cut expected by the year end, however. So uh, a really surprising jobs number. There is some debate about um, whether we'll see that number revised down substantially in future. Remember, these are uh, these are economic statistics that can move around a hell of a lot, um, unlike, for instance, the UK's inflation data, which is never, ever revised in any direction. And the reason for that is that they are used to make statutory payments on things like index-linked bonds and wages and contracts. So they never, ever revise that number. But non-farm payroll is one of the most revised numbers. And um, partly there are things called uh, the births-deaths model. So a lot of it is imputed rather than calculated in order to get, you know, economy the size of the US um, to to work out how many jobs were created or destroyed in uh, just... Um, eight days ago is is a pretty big ask, isn't it? So there's a lot of modelling going on. Births, deaths is a way where they um, think about how many new businesses may have been created, how many new businesses may have disappeared. And it's uh, highly technical, highly um, opaque in, in my view, and there are also seasonal adjustments. And so it can be the case that you do get big revisions. I think that's uh, clutching at straws somewhat, though. Um, it, it, it does feel that there is strength despite what is a narrow weakness, I guess, in that tech sector. 
So what was the impact on uh, bond markets further out the curve? We've seen that we put in another 50-50 chance of yet another rate hike at the short end. Well, at the long end, we saw a big sell-off in US Treasury bonds. So uh, going into number, we were at, I think, 3.39% for the 10-year US Treasury. Now we're at 3.65%. Um, and the big, big winner in asset markets since Friday's number has been what had been the beleaguered US dollar, you know, one of the worst performing currencies over the past couple of months. Well, it's now about 3% higher than it was going into the number that's measured against its trading basket, effectively, the big, the big majors uh, are all in there. Now, since the number, Jay Powell, uh, the Fed chair, has done a Q&A at the Economics Club, sounds crazy, in Washington, D.C. last night, where he said, to quote, the labour market is extraordinarily strong. Um, it may well be the case that we have to do more. And in his comments, he, he talked about this being a process that may take a period of time, which I think really supports well, I, I kind of feel is the most likely that we do get to five, uh, maybe even five and a quarter, but rather than coming down almost immediately, it seems, the market's pricing in once we get there, that we, uh, the Fed at least, is minded, and it's not just Powell saying this, but lots of other Fed uh, members um, talking about staying at five for a prolonged period of, of time. How long they'll have before the data starts turning down? And remember that economic policy acts with a long lag, six to 18 months, somewhere in that you know, kind of time period it takes to, to work through the system. Remember, you know, mortgages, for instance, in the US are, are fixed for a very, very long time. So you're not going to see um, anyone who's had a mortgage at 1% decide to refinance at the current rate of something like 7%, are you? You know, it's just inexplicable that they're going to do that. And so the slowdown you'll see there will be one of housing activity starting to, to roll over, which itself is a very powerful thing, but it won't be the case in the UK, like in the UK rather, where we have more floating rate or in Sweden where we have a large amount of floating rate mortgages that the pain is taken instantly. So those lags are important and the Fed can't really, by the time the Fed sees the economic data really start to soften, it'll probably find that it needs to cut rates very aggressively from 5%. Okay, let's move on and um, end really on the UK where we have budget talk starting to begin. Um, It's March, but um, we're, well, it will be March, but we're talking historically in the last couple of weeks about how the gas price in Europe, which is very low, much lower than expected, thanks to the warm weather that's been experienced, that has meant that the government's going to end up spending less on the support measures it gave to households and businesses um, uh, to help them through what was expected to be a high gas price winter. And people were talking about this will give Jeremy Hunt a kind of windfall um, which can be used to to, to spread some largesse or at least borrow less in, in government bond markets as a result. So that was the good news for Jeremy Hunt. But on the other hand, there are some estimates out today from the uh, Her Majesty's Treasury suggesting that you know the other side of that coin is that the tax revenues from the oil and gas sector are going to be about £13 billion lower than expected as well simply because, um, you know, the lower petrol prices, gas prices, etc., produces less tax revenue. So it's a bit swings and 
roundabouty for Jeremy Hunt when it comes to the impact of oil and gas on the UK's budget and any flexibility you'll have going forwards in a world where, remember, Liz Truss is making her comeback, um, talking about uh, a secret cabal of left-wing economists and fund managers who bought down her um, her glorious reign. Um, so, you know, the, and she's kind of implied that she will be on the back benches putting pressure on Hunt or uh, whoever is in, in power to to reinstate her laissez-faire, no-tax uh, economy. So, uh, you know, that's not going to make things easy either. Right, anyway, talking of oil and gas and how weak things have been of late, it's not today. So uh, last night, Saudi Arabia effectively announced that it would be putting up the price of its oil by 3 to 4%. Well, oil, oil is up as a result of that by about 3 to 4% today. And this is really, they say, on the back of exceptional demand from Asia. And this feeds through into the debate about whether China reopening is an inflationary or a disinflationary trend. You know, on the one hand, if you think about disinflation, all the stuff, the stuff that we consume in the West uh, that's been stuck in Chinese factories, unmade, um, unshipped for a very long time, uh, will suddenly be opened up. The bottlenecks will disappear. China will start pumping out cheap clothes and electronics. You will have seen, if you want to buy a PlayStation 5 now, you can. You know, the adverts are everywhere. They are in stock again, having been kind of sporadically allocated by auctions or um, eBay for uh, a couple of years. They're now They're now back in the shops and being shipped because we've got lots of new shipping containers, new ships were built over the past couple of years in response to high shipping prices, and that itself brings down the, the, the cost of shipping. So China will, for goods, certainly be disinflationary, but you can see there that also that demand from Asia is is partly due to China reopening. So the oil prices are going up. It's also going to be impacts from tourism and uh, travel in both in Asia and also in European hotspots uh, as well, now that Chinese people are able to travel again. So still not clear what the end result will be there, but, but certainly not purely a disinflationary um, outcome from that. Right, finish up on the UK again on the LDI crisis. You remember uh, another Liz Trust moment back in um, well September, the LDI crisis for UK pension funds that caused the Bank of England to have to intervene, and long dated guilt yields got up to five percent. The House of Lords committee that was looking at the LDI crisis put out their paper yesterday and came up with four recommendations regarding UK pension funds and LDI. I'll quickly whiz through them. And thanks to a JP Morgan paper um, that I'm pretty much summarising here. Uh, number one, there'll be a government, well, there should be a government review to see whether uh, a less volatile, longer term asset led approach would be more appropriate. I'm guessing that means uh, that they'd like, rather than um, owning derivatives at the long end of the, the curve, to take their interest rate position and credit elsewhere or risky assets elsewhere, that they buy direct effectively turn into long-only pension funds owning long-dated credit, long-dated government bonds, matching their liabilities with physical assets, including private assets, where it may be appropriate. 
Uh, number two would be uh, to review, kind of linked to this, review the use of leverage and derivatives full stop within pension funds. Number three, more regulation, not just on uh, the pension funds themselves, but also on the investment consultants. And number four, more information about the leverage that pension funds are running and the assets that they have. So uh, not not law, but these recommendations um, are certainly going to be discussed a lot and have some impact on what happens to the shape of the UK yield curve in particular and um, the future of the UK pension fund market full stop. Have good weeks. Bye.